Hey, everybody, we'd like to welcome you. I'm Galen David, and I'm from AFA, and I am your uh, representative for the campaign. It's so great to be with you. And today we have a great call planned for you. We have uh, Sarah Nelson here. We have Katura Johnson. Sarah Nelson is the international president um, for AFA CWA. Katura Johnson is the international vice president for AFA CWA. And this has been a great positive campaign. And I just want to tell you how it started. Um, you know, we heard from many SkyWest flight attendants. First, it started with one, two, uh, then a few more. And before we knew it, you know, we were hearing from dozens of SkyWest flight attendants. And what they were saying was, first of all, that everybody loves flying for SkyWest. It's a big part of their life um, and they want it to be better. And so that's really the motivation behind um, people contacting us. They want to have a true voice at work. They want a union that is run by SkyWest flight attendants, focused on the priorities of SkyWest flight attendants, and that answers to SkyWest flight attendants and not management. And that's really the motivation. They want a contract that locks in the things they love and improves the things they don't. Before we get started with um, speaking with our guest, uh, Sarah Nelson and Katura Johnson, we wanna hear from the most important people in the room and that's SkyWest flight attendants. Um, and someone that's on the call today is um, Kelly Frieders, uh, who's based in Phoenix. I've met Kelly and she's so enthusiastic about um, her job and um, all the possibilities at SkyWest. And Kelly, I'd love to hear your thoughts and share some of uh, your feelings with everybody on the call tonight. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, beautifully. Okay. Uh, I'm Kelly Frieders. I'm based in Phoenix, as Galen said. Um, I have not always been like, you know, pro-union. I kind of grew up anti-union actually and was very much a fence sitter for a long time. But I started noticing um, I would submit policy proposals about things that I was excited about that I thought we could improve at SkyWest. And I would talk to individual SIA members and I'd get enthusiasm back and everything. And I think, great. And then every time, as soon as there was a vote, a whole meeting of the whole group, um, everything got turned down. And the answers were always things like, well, this isn't good for the company. And I'm thinking, well, I thought you represented us. And it just became clear to me that the system is not designed to represent us. It's designed to be a, a committee of the company, basically. And then I also started hearing about um, how in meetings with management, when you ask for a SIAS presence that they don't really advocate for you. They sit there, they take notes, they listen, um, they will tell you what policy is but they don't advocate for you. And I started feeling very much like we are out there in the wind and we don't have an advocate. So I started looking into the union and I came to um, to a, a Zoom chat that uh, that was oh, probably a year, year, year and a half ago. Um, and I just really liked what I heard. It kind of was not what I was expecting at all. I really kind of had this idea, like we keep hearing about this outside group coming in and telling us how to do it. And that is not at all what it is. It's very much us. 
It's gonna be our flight attendants working on our priorities. The big difference is it's gonna be us within a system that's designed to support us and not under management. Um, we'll have, you know, backings and negotiations for contracts. We'll have, um, you know, a third party adjudicating uh, grievances. So it's not all run by the company. I mean, right now the company's kind of judge, jury and executioner. And I just really like that whole idea of a level playing field. It's us, but with some backing and with a level playing field. And I just, you know, imagine what like an Ivy Murphy could do if she was in a system that was designed to support us and, and, uh, and our goals. And so that's why I'm here and I'm really excited about this. And I think we are ready, it's time. Kelly, that was awesome. This is Sarah Nelson. And I, I just wanna to say to all of the participants tonight, we're really happy that you're here. Um, and Galen is gonna keep us moving. We wanna hear from uh, another SkyWest flight attendant now, Teresa Grange. And um, I'm super excited to be talking with all of you and take some questions and uh, get to know each other a little bit and what, we, what you can build right there at SkyWest together. Teresa. We want to hear from you. Teresa's based in Salt Lake City, and uh, I've met Teresa, Teresa a few times, and she's so enthusiastic, so excited about the possibilities uh, at SkyWest. So, Teresa, we'd love to hear from you. Welcome, everybody, to the meeting tonight. I'm super excited. I've been on this journey for two-plus years, and I'd like to thank everyone that's supporting us. Galen's been incredible. Sarah, thank you so much. I was able to meet you in person and I just, I just adore you. You, um, you just, you just are perfect for our um, company and what we're looking for. AFA is a fit for us. And like I said, we need a voice here at SkyWest Airlines and it's been a fight. And each and every flight attendant from the very brand new, a very brand new hire to those who've been with us for a long time need true representation at the table. And um, that's not what we're getting right now. So super excited about the grassroots movement. I feel like we've got a great core group. There's a ton of momentum and more gaining every day. And so we're just super excited to have um, everyone on board with us and just looking to increase our members and move forward and looking forward to working with everyone. So once again, welcome everybody. And thanks again for all your support. Thanks, Teresa. I want to just take a minute to say hello to everybody um, and because not everybody maybe knows who I am um, or um, uh, what I'm doing here. And I think it's really important. I'm also here with Katura Johnson, who is uh, comes out of Piedmont Airlines. She was just recently elected to international office. Um, and we have the most diverse group of flight attendants running our union ever. But um, I think it's really important to start, you know, uh, we just heard from Kelly and Teresa about <clears throat> what got them involved in the union. And I always like to start with my story, too, because that, uh, who knew? When I grew up in Oregon, um, so I'm very familiar with SkyWest. <laughs> um, in fact, I've had a lot of friends go to work for SkyWest. Mm. And I'm getting just a drink because I had a little uh, catch in my throat there, but um, you know, I didn't really know anything about unions. I didn't realize that actually it was a union that protected my family because my mom was a teacher. <clears throat> she had a union contract that provided us with healthcare, um, provided us with better pay than an hourly job that my dad was doing. 
um, and provided um, my mom with um, real security with a pension um, that she could count on when she retired. But we didn't talk about that in our house. And um, so I didn't have any concept of it really. And I was planning to be a teacher myself but uh, when I was doing my student teaching after I graduated from, <clears throat> from college in the Midwest, it was a very, very cold winter in St. Louis. And I was working there and I was planning to set up my classroom and trying to think about how I was gonna pay off my student debt. And um, I was working four jobs actually. I was waiting tables. I was working at a temp agency where I was filing papers for an insurance company. Um, I was working at a home store so I could get a discount and buy things one at a time for the <laughs> apartment that I had um, with some roommates. And uh, um, and I was student, uh, not student teaching, I was subbing, <coughs> waiting for this job in the fall that I was going to have. And I was 23 and already exhausted and wondering how I was going to make everything work. And a friend of mine had become a flight attendant at the end of our college career. And we sort of laughed about it. We didn't know anything about it. Um, and we thought maybe she'd do it for a few years and um, then move on to something else. Um, but she called me after she had been on the job for about six months. And <clears throat> here I was stuck in St. Louis um, and uh, on this cold day. And she called me from Miami Beach. She's first of all, razzed me that she had her toes in the sand and she was warm when I was freezing. And um, then, then she said, after teasing me a little bit, she said, but no joke. This job is really incredible. And um, let me just tell you about it. And she talked about the provisions of the job. She also talked about our flying partner. She talked about the people that she had met on the jump seat who were mothers and fathers and had uh, computer programmers and nurses and doctors and lawyers and all these people with all this different experience, actors. And then some, uh, sometimes people who had been flight attendants their whole lives, that's all they'd ever known, but they had a heart of flight attendants. And she talked about the people that she worked with. And she talked about the, the pay that was going to be better than my first year teacher pay and <coughs> the healthcare and the dental and um, the, um, uh, the, the flexibility and the schedule that she could count on. And she was describing the United Airlines contract that first was negotiated in 1946. It was the first flight attendant contract and had been built up over the years to push back against discrimination that made us have to have to quit when we turned age 30 and made us have to step on a weight scale until 1993. It's the union that pushed back against all these policies and made it possible for anyone with the heart of a flight attendant to have the job, whether you were a man or a woman or identified in some other way or uh, were uh, black or white or Latinx or whatever. Um, with the heart of a flight attendant, you can do it. And so um, that's because of our union pushing back and pushing on things that mattered to us like single hotel rooms. That was our union that won that. We had to fight against the company for that. We had to fight for domestic partner benefits. Um, and then we won that at United uh, first, and then it very quickly followed on to the rest of the industry. And that put us on the road to marriage equality. These are things that we won in our workplace through our union. And so we shaped the flight attendant career. And here she was not, not putting it in these terms, but telling me about this. And I have to tell you, I got in my car the next day, drove to Chicago, interviewed with United, um, got hired, went through the tr unpaid training, and started my flying career 
And when my roommates that I got a, a, uh, an apartment with uh, from my training class, seven of us in a small apartment, um, just uh, as close to the airport as we could be in Boston, and uh, they got their first paycheck and I called up to see what it was and my paycheck wasn't there. And so here I am on probation. I've been told to mind my P's and Q's. You can get fired for having a hair out of line, whatever it may be. And um, so I went into the office to say, hey, I didn't get my first paycheck. And, and so the person responded and said, oh, you get your first paycheck at different times for different reasons, maybe when your IOE was, blah, 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 blah. And I was thinking, I was thinking in my head, I have $12 in my bank account. Rent is due in a couple of weeks. And uh, how am I going to eat? How? And I'm screaming these things in my head, but of course I keep my cool and I say, okay. And I sort of, you know, uh, swallowed and uh, got some, a bunch of top ramen for uh, 10 cents. A, <laughs> I think I found a deal somewhere um, and um, made it through the next two weeks praying for those reserve assignments just so I could eat some plain food back when we had it. And, um, and got through to the next payday and I still didn't have a paycheck. And so now I'm back in the office and saying to someone in the office, a supervisor in the office, can you please help me? I didn't get paid again. And they started saying the same, same thing. And I realized it was the first time in my life that I knew what it felt to be a number. And um, I felt very desperate in that moment. I didn't know rent was due the next day. My flying partners were counting on me. They couldn't cover my portion of the rent. I couldn't eat. I had given my last quarter to the van driver who took my bag off the van the day, day before. And I, I started to cry. And all of a sudden I had this tap on the shoulder and I turned around and there was someone standing there who looked a lot like me. She was wearing the same uniform, but I had never seen her before. But she's standing there holding her checkbook and asking me how to spell my name. I remember her AFA pin shining over her wings. She was just another line flight attendant. She wasn't a union officer or anything, but she was one of us because this is our union. This is where we take care of each other. And she handed me a check for $800. And she said, number one, you go take care of yourself. And number two, you call our union. I did call our union and I had my paycheck the next day, but I always tell everyone that I learned everything I needed to know in that moment when my flying partner was standing in front of me. Because as flight attendants, there's very few people in the world who are better at taking care of others than we are. And through our union, we can be organized about that and get the most out of our care for each other. So I got involved in the union because they called me and said, hey, do you want to do some work? And I said, yes, I want to do the new hire presentations. I don't want this to happen to anybody else. I want them to know their contractual rights. I want them to know their rights on the job. And so started doing that and um, and got involved more and more and more. And uh, by my fifth year anniversary, 9-11 hit and flight 175. Uh, which was the United Airlines flight that hit the South Tower of the World Trade Center 17 minutes after American Flight 11 hit it. And you can see that image. That's my friends on that flight that you see flying into the World Trade Center uh, because every camera was trained there because American Flight 11 had hit 17 minutes earlier. And um, we, that changed everything. We lost our friends. Our profession changed forever. And we were in the crisis room trying to pick up the pieces and, and grieve with each other. And while we were there, management came in and said, uh, you got to get back to work. The company is hemorrhaging money. And um, that is really when I learned that 
they don't ever have our best interests at heart. I've seen eight CEOs come and go at United Airlines, some of them with good intentions for the airline, some of them who would have sold it for parts if it would have made them an extra couple million. And uh, we are the ones that we can count on. We're the ones who count on each other. We're the ones who keep what we love at the company that, frankly, we provide all of the value for. It's our work. It's our faces that bring those passengers back. And we take care of people. And when we're up in the air, it's only each other that we have to count on. And it's only each other who knows what it's like to be a flight attendant. And so throughout the years, it's been flight attendants running our union, organizing at different carriers, because when you're a flight attendant, it doesn't really matter the tail of your airplane or the kind of wings that you wear. We have a bond that other people just can't understand. And when we organize together and stand up together and lift the standards of our careers together, but keep the running of the union and the contract issues that are important to each of us at each airline in the hands of only the flight attendants at that airline, that's our union structure. We get more out of this because we support each other in lifting the profession. When we get one thing in one contract, we're able to lift up and get something better in another contract. And we lift up the career together but it stays in the running of the hands. It stays in the hands of the people who share the jump seat with you. No one can tell you what's important to you at SkyWest, what you want to negotiate, what you want to have in black and white with management, what you can count on. We're going to get into some of the questions about what that means. Um, but I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself because that, that first introduction to my union, real introduction to my union with my flying partner taking care of me that day is what sticks with me every single day. And my commitment to my friends who lost their lives doing this job as aviation's first responders and now aviation's last line of defense is what motivates me every single day to make sure that flight attendants have the tools that we need to do our jobs. And that is what motivated us to put together the payroll support program during coronavirus that kept our airlines in place, our jobs in place. So you are already the beneficiaries of this union. We always already think of you as a part of this union. I advocated for SkyWest flight attendants, getting those loans and making sure it was something that would work for your company. You don't even know that, but I did. I talked to the treasury department during that time and worked on your behalf because we take care of each other. We have to stay in place and we have to hold each other up. And that's what this union is about. So I wanna just introduce you for, to, for a moment to Katura Johnson, um, who comes also from a regional airline and last year ran a contract campaign with a 100% strike vote that she put up a credible threat to the company that made them come to the table in a serious way and get a contract that really improved the lives of flight attendants, even when the pandemic was still raging. So Katura, do you want to say hello? Yes. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Um, so for those of you who do not know me, my name is Katura Johnson. I am the newly elected international vice president um, for AFA CWA. I am the very first queer woman of color and combat veteran. Um, and I am honored to be here with all of you guys. Um, my story is not as similar uh, as Sarah's. Um, but as I did start flying, I did see some things that I, I needed I wanted to change. Um, and so I got involved with the union um, and I've been flying for five years. And I see um, as a queer woman of color that there are issues that are going on right now in uh, regards to the LGBT community, to veterans. Um, 
people of color, flight attendants of color. And so I am here uh, to support you in any way. And I am excited to be here with you all. And just like your slogan, it is time and it is your voice and it is your choice. And I just want you to know that you do have incredible support with the activists in Galen. Um, and we are here to support you on this journey. So welcome. Thanks, Katura. Galen, yes. Yes. we want to we hear from you. And I just want to say, um, Galen also, uh, we met each other as flight attendants and uh, fighting for flight attendants. And I, uh, gosh, has it been 10 years now, Galen, that we have been close? Um, I yeah. was always hoping that he could come work with us at AFA. And uh, about a year and a half ago, he finally was in a place where he could. Um, so he is working with us on staff. And luckily, he's here to support you. There is a whole um, union ready to support you. Um, but Galen's been the face for us till now. And you're very, very lucky to have him. I, I've almost never met anyone who's as passionate about standing up for flight attendants as Galen is. So um, Galen, thanks for all the work that you've done to support people to this point and uh, getting us here tonight. Thank you. We've got such a great group of SkyWest flight attendants and um, I'm so happy to be able to work with them. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Katura. Here it is from a Salt Lake City flight attendant. I like how a union will keep the company from changing policy without any notice. However, I'm concerned about how long it will take to make changes for the better. What is the process and timeline for negotiating changes once we have a contract? Yeah, negotiating a contract starts with a survey of uh, the group about you know what you want to change, what are your priorities and negotiations. We put together an opening proposal, meet management, and we start those negotiations. Those negotiations are done under the Railway Labor Act. The Railway Labor Act. Um, it, has uh, contracts that become amendable. They uh, do not expire. And so there is a process for direct negotiations. Then you can, the next step is to ask for assistance from the National Mediation Board. That is the federal agency that oversees negotiations in the airline industry. And then they would mediate uh, those talks until uh, there is an impasse, until the groups have, have narrowed the issues. Um, down to just usually a handful of issues, but there's a determination that um, that there's there's you can't go any further. And so at that point, they would consider a release from mediation, they call it, um, into a 30-day cooling off period, and then you have your strike deadline. So there is no specific timeline on that, but what we can tell you is that within the last couple of years, we negotiated a contract at North Atlantic Airways in two days. When the parties want to reach an agreement, you can reach that very quickly. And uh, we have negotiated uh, other first contracts within the first year after getting the union on the property. And in other cases, the, the company has uh, dragged their feet. And they have also counted on high attrition and, and the union having to work very hard to keep signing people up, keep, keep getting people involved. And what we have done in those cases is we have put extra resources into that, in, into that property to make sure that we're lifting you up and supporting you. And, and mobilizing in a way that can fight back against the company, put on a public pressure campaign. So we work on a strategic way to bring the company to the table um, using the law, uh, the public pressure, 
and in some cases, also lawmakers, pressure from Congress, pressure from uh, other local officials. Um, and we, we create this public pressure campaign to get them to agree with you. Now, this question, Galen, that you asked was really about like, how do you deal with issues after you have the contract in place? If there, typically you have a contract in place for say uh, three, four years, maybe five years, um, but three, four years is more, is more average. And um, then in between that time, if there's issues that come up, the company and the company is required to meet with you to discuss those issues, a new issue in the workplace. Maybe the company wants to change a policy. They need to talk with the union first. There needs to be a discussion there. Those issues tend to get resolved relatively quickly because they're an issue usually for the company in the operation and an issue for the flight attendants in the operation. And also usually they are the hot topic on the line. And whenever you have a hot topic on the line that all the flight attendants are talking about, that's something that you can mobilize around and show the company that you are uh, that you expect them to resolve that. We can be very organized around our union and again use a public pressure campaign or whatever leverage we may have to bring them to the table to be able to resolve that in a way that is good for flight attendants and allows the company to continue to operate. So we did a lot of that during COVID, for example, because the conditions kept changing in the workplace and we had to keep negotiating over those changes and how they would apply and how flight attendants would be protected. And uh, we negotiated things like paid leaves. So people could opt to take the time off and simply get pay, but stay out of the schedule. And other flight attendants wanted to actually pick up as much time as they could um, in order to um, make as much as they were making before. So there were options for everyone. And that was all negotiated for, by our union throughout that process. And that's what happens between big contract negotiations where you're renegotiating the entire contract is that when an issue comes up, you have a professional negotiator at your side, you have a staff attorney at your side, you have the ability to strategically think about how to address this issue. You also have um, the expertise of what is happening at every other airline. So you get to talk about what the industry standards are. Um, and uh, through all of that uh, experience and expertise and resources, we tend to resolve issues very quickly. What about the changes that took place during the summer you know, that uh, Katura Johnson worked on. Oh, at, at, at Piedmont Envoy and PSA, right. right. Katura, why don't, you, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as we were closing up negotiations, um, there were some additional enhancements that we were fighting for. Um, and it's really important to work with your sister carriers um, to make sure that you're aligned. For example, Piedmont, PSA, and Envoy are all uh, the wholly owned under American. And so we banded together and we demanded that we all got you know, a paid leave during the pandemic. In the summer, we got some um, incentive bonuses for, um, I'm blanking on the word, <laughs> for attendance. Um, we also banded together to make sure that we received uh, commuter hotels. And what we did is we talked with one another and we challenged the company and fought against the company to make sure that we were aligned together. And so just like Sarah and Galen were talking about, when you band together um, and use your power, these things are we're able to accomplish these things. I just want to um, like note how um, beneficial this was. <clears throat> so Katura was able to get um, a, a um, incentive bonus for working your trips. But here's, here's the deal. <clears throat> if you used FMLA or you used approved sick leave or you used your vacation or other contractual items for time off, 
that was not counted against you. You still got the incentive bonus it, um, for e even when you use those contractual items that were available to you. So there wasn't a pressure to come to work sick. There wasn't a pressure to give up your personal time. This was just simply to fly uh, the trips mm -hmm. that you were assigned outside of any other interruptions in your personal life that cause you to have to call in sick or or take time off for for other uh for other reasons so it was really extraordinary and that that can only be done when you have a union on the property that's defending the rights of flight attendants across the contract are any steps being taken to get rid of or change the railway labor act um, so I think that we usually get this question around um, the the provisions for pay. So there there was a um, a petition last year for boarding pay that got a lot of attention, uh, got a lot of press attention. It was great. Um, the only thing is that the background information on the petition uh, um, was not correct. So it said that that the provisions of the Rail Labor Act. Um, didn't allow us to get boarding pay. That's not actually true. It's uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act that was passed in 1938, specifically exempts aviation workers from the provisions of that bill, which, which set out certain terms for wage and hour uh, policies for overtime. And so that is why it's possible for the airlines to have flight attendants come to work and not get paid an hourly rate for every hour that we're at work. That's not just flight attendants, that's pilots um, as well, of course. And um, we, what we did originally when we were negotiating our contracts was we built them off of what the pilot contracts had, which were focused on the flight hours that they were flying uh, during those trips. As we know, over the years, our duties outside of those flight hours have only increased and increased even more after these mergers and capacity was cut out of our industry and we started seeing full airplanes all the time. And then with all the trials through the pandemic and the combative passengers and all of our duties now that we're trained in, for example, utilizing the AED, reviving people from a heart attack, responding to medical emergencies. And um, so boarding is very, very hard. Um, and this is not an issue that we were able to get to the table before this became a huge issue. Um, what we did originally was we made sure that we would uh, negotiate uh, trip rigs, duty rigs. SkyWest has generally mirrored some of these protections, pay protections in the industry, but these were originally negotiated by AFA. So for example, for every three and a half hours that you're away from home, one hour of flight pay. For every two hours on duty, one hour of flight pay. We negotiated these pay protections to make sure that we're getting our hourly rate more regularly. And that is a big difference between having a union contract and not. Because when you have, when you don't have the union contract, the company gets to decide and define when you get that hourly rate. But when you have a contract, you get to define when you have that hourly rate and how often you're getting paid that and how efficient you have to make the company in their scheduling to make sure uh, that they're making good use of our time. So that is the way we've addressed it in the past, but I'll tell you what, because the, the demands are coming from the workforce and we're identifying this new issue, I think separately outside of the flight hour uh, pay that we've been getting, we are defining very clearly that these airlines are going to have to pay boarding pay separate and distinct 
from all of the system that we already have in place around um, our flight hours. And as you know, that are a higher rate than a, than a normal uh, hourly rate. Um, what airlines have tried to do in the past is play games with that. Oh, you want to get paid for on duty and they want to do a conversion and they want to like take from us in the process. Um, so that was never something that could uh, win out at the table. But when you have clear demands, everyone's expecting it. And we were organizing at Delta and push Delta to do a boarding pay. This then sets the next standard for the next set of negotiations. And SkyWest ultimately um, is doesn't have to meet that but they may meet it just to make you think that you don't need a union. I think people keep asking this. What's the downside to trying to get rid of the Railway Labor Act? Is there something oh, that people just don't well, know? The Railway Labor Act, so getting rid of the Railway Labor Act, changing the Railway Labor Act would not change this issue. So I just want to be clear about that. Um, and this uh, labor law has been on the books since 1938. We don't have great labor law in this country. You've probably heard that with all of the narrative about everybody trying to organize, everybody trying to rise up, stop this growing inequality in our country, um, where we have all these a handful of billionaires and a growing poverty class. Um, so we, um, uh, so we are unlikely to be able to change the Fair Labor Standards Act that has been on the books since 1938. Uh, what we're going to have to do is build power and take the power directly to where the money is. And that is at our airlines. That's where we're going to have power to make these changes, um, more so than trying to get them changed in Congress. Once we build up power from working people all standing together and getting our government more responsive to people rather than the money and the corporations that are controlling our politics. Um, by the way, not partisan here. I'm just talking about the difference between the working class, the people who do all the work, create all the value in this country, and the people who are heading up companies and leading Wall Street and essentially stealing from us. And we want to stop that. We need to band together. We have so much more in common than anything that divides us. That's the whole idea is that we join together and we put a check on that. We put a check on corporate greed and that's what we're gonna do together. And that's how we're actually gonna get paid. So trying to change the law is um, not the fastest and the best way to go about this. Let's go right for where the money exists. Let's just go there about the dues. Okay, because a lot of people ask, you know, where do our dues go? Um, how do reps get paid? So first of all, uh, our constitution says that you don't pay a single dues dollar until you have ratified, until you have voted for your contract. So signing cards for AFA, getting to an election is just the first step. But the entire time that you're negotiating that contract and utilizing all the resources of AFA, a communications department, your uh, professional negotiators, your attorneys, uh, the uh, legislative department that can help bring pressure to those negotiations as well. Um, the safety, air safety, health and security, where we have industrial hygienists that help us make sure that we've got good, strong uh, safety protections. Um, the um, EAP and professional standards department of AFA that make sure that flight attendants have support that doesn't put them in jeopardy with their jobs, a place where they can be safe to work through any issues that they may be having um, and get that support right from their union without having to put their jobs in jeopardy. All of that is accessible to you before you even pay your first dollar in dues. It's not until you, we negotiate that contract that you want, that you ratify, and then dues are $50 a month. It's kept at mm -hmm. a relatively low rate. Your contract that you get far exceeds 
the, the um, monthly dues rate. And we've been able to keep those dues relatively low and have all these resources um, because uh, flight attendants are really good at stretching dollars and making it work. Um, and so this supports all the professionals that we have on staff, but really that's only about 20% of the dues. Then the dues go directly to the flight attendants to support the flight attendants who are answering the phone, the people that you elect directly in your base and at your airline who are able to support you while you're doing your job. You can call up and say, hey, is the company following this provision of the contract correctly? And they can either give you an answer, yes, and here's why, and let's walk through that, or no, do you want me to get on the phone to the crew desk with you and, and get this fixed? And so you've got that kind of support and the money goes back to the local to do that. Money also goes to what we call the master executive council or the airline level um, uh, coordination because you don't wanna just have all these different SkyWest locals. You wanna be coordinated at your airline to have one voice with the company. That's how you use, utilize your power as a collective force. And so that, that level also gets another portion of the dues. Now you're up to about 60% uh, of the dues. And then you add on top of that contract enforcement or it's called system board of adjustment and also your negotiations budget. And that is up to about 80% of the dues that you pay. The remaining 20% supports the professional staff that we have at the international office, um, our, our office space that we have around the country, things like that, and our coordination and affiliation with other unions so that we can support each other and build power together and take on the big issues that matter to everyone. And, and that is really important for doing things like getting big legislation passed in the crisis where we got the payroll support or getting past the 10 hours of rest um, that we got uh, in Congress and finally got enforced by the FAA this year. And the rep, they're paid just yeah. like a flight attendant. So you you stay, our, our constitution makes sure that uh, people who are doing the work and who are elected are not getting a separate paycheck. They're still getting paid by the company according to their uh, bid schedule that they, they would get in their seniority. And um, that's what they're reimbursed for. They may not fly all of their trips because they may need to be off to provide you with representation, um, but they're only getting paid uh, for what that would otherwise be flying as a flight attendant. And um, so they're, they don't get any special treatment or special pay. Uh, they have the same incentive uh, you do to improve your workplace. There are zero dues paid until after you have a contract that you, That's right. that you approve and you wouldn't approve a contract unless it provided you <laughs> with a lot more than your, than your dues. This is an interesting question just about uh, negotiations again. Okay, recently Alpa told pilots at ATI that they've lost confidence that the negotiations with the company will result in a ratifiable agreement in the near future. How would AFA deal with this type of situation in which management outright refuses to bargain in good faith? Um, Galen, I'm just going to reference what I talked about before, stepping up that pressure campaign, taking a strike vote, so making it very clear. Listen, it, to resolve an issue, you have to define the problem. You have to set the demands to fix it. That's what we do in our contract surveys and all our discussions with flight attendants about what we want to achieve. 
And then you have to add urgency and you have to say what you're willing to do to back up your demands. So taking a strike vote is one way of saying what you're willing to do to back up those demands. You may also have public events like picketing events. Katura, uh, uh, after they took their 100% strike vote and while they were taking it, were out picketing and bringing pressure, bringing media attention to that, which puts pressure on management. Um, so we have a lot of ways to do these things and you're protected when you have a union. You have the protection of the union to speak up and hold your management accountable. That's that's not something that I bet people could sort of imagine today uh, doing at SkyWest and thinking that uh, you're going to be able to do that without any repercussions. But when you're speaking as a union rep and even in this campaign to try to join your union, you have more job security uh, and protection because you're doing that with the union. And that is labor law that backs you up. So we would we would simply step up a pressure campaign until management decides that it's in their interest to bargain with us fairly. Someone asked how many how many regionals had commuter policies before being with AFA? The uh, commuter issues have become uh, more a focus of what our union has focused on in the last 20 years as management has consolidated out of um, secondary and tertiary cities where it's maybe um, easier to live and into big hub cities where our living expenses are more expensive. And so a lot more people have been commuting just to be able to afford a good standard of living. Um, and so commuter issues are a significant part of what we talk about in negotiations and what we fight on. And one of the first things that we did was we ran the campaign for reciprocal cabin seats. Um, you have agreements with other carriers. That's an AFA campaign. There's another benefit that you have today that is um, the product of AFA organizing, making this a priority, coordinating with each other. Because what we had was say, for example, um, Alaska was willing, wanted to do an agreement with United and United was telling uh, our reps, oh, uh, Alaska doesn't wanna do it, but we were able to talk to the Alaska reps, get the agreement that Alaska had already signed and bring it back around to them and show them that they were lying and put them put the screws to them until they all agreed to do these reciprocal cabin seat agreements. So that is one of the things that we did uh, for commuters. But then we also um, started negotiating commuter policies and commuter policies um, are very standard in AFA contracts at this point. Um, and they give people the ability to have clear provisions about not only how they, uh, I, how they make sure that they're not getting disciplined while commuting to work, but also how they can reclaim the time that they might lose if they're not able to pick up a trip. Um, and in some cases, uh, like Katura can talk about this, in some cases, those commuter clauses also include hotel rooms for flight attendants. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. And you know, hearing, hearing the question, it's not what happened before, but it's always, uh, like Sarah talked about, building on top of it. So while you might have a good commuter policy, it's always looking at other carriers in other ways. So for example, Piedmont has the commuter hotel rooms and something that they were doing during the holidays because they needed people to get to work was something we negotiated was positive space to and from, you know, because we need to get the flight attendants to work. So those are things that you can you can build on within the commuter policy but um, commuter policies, positive space and hotel rooms are something that a lot of the regionals are asking for and they're getting. With so, the union. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Did these airlines have commuter policies before AFA? No. 
And and that's the way our contracts have always been built. Uh, there's been an issue identified, and typically that's it's pretty standard across the industry because flight attendants we end up talking to each other, and um, it, we uh, and we make those demands. We identify the problem. Sometimes we have to do uh, scientific research to show uh, that that we've got uh, the backing of science in in why we're asking for. Uh, for the demand that we have. And, and so we back that up with proof, but then we also band together and use the power of numbers and pressure the companies to do what they don't want to do. And w- not everything is perfect. We're still working on this every day. We're improving the job every day. and We're never going to be done with it uh, because the second that we stop, uh, it will start to slip backwards, but there's uh, there's still a lot more to be done. And that's why I originally got involved. That's why I'm still involved today. And I would love it to have the voices and the power of the professional and amazing SkyWest flight attendants who uh, I cannot believe have to change from one flight to the next between carriers. You're the only uh, airline in the industry that I'm aware that has to do that. Uh, I think that it is a safety risk um, having to switch between different announcements, different procedures between these different airlines. Um, and this is the type of thing that we would never allow to have happen with the union contract. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to work with you on all of the issues that you're identifying. I know we haven't answered all the questions tonight. I know we still have a little bit of time, um, but I just, I, I think that we're probably gonna schedule another one of these pretty soon uh, because we're gonna wanna keep a- answering people's questions, right, Galen? Some really good questions just came. Yes. While we're ratifying our initial contract, what protections do we have? Okay, so once you vote for the union, um, you have basic protections that the company cannot retaliate against you uh, for voting for the union. So if you are a very uh, vocal supporter of the union, they cannot retaliate against you. Um, We would have the ability to push back on them and um, push on any sort of disciplinary action. Um, So you would have those kinds of protections. It's not totally locked in until you have uh, the uh, grievance procedures in place in a contract that give you due process at work and a certainty for having that due process and and your uh, fair say in the process with the company. But you at least have the protections of ensuring that if you're a union supporter um, and you've been public about that, uh, we would have very strong scrutiny on the company for any sort of disciplinary action against you. So there's that. But also every other provision that you like at SkyWest today, they can't just change that. They couldn't just, for example, um, massively change your health care or change your pay rates or change um, some other provision that you like. We negotiate from what you have today. Once you vote in the union, you essentially lock those things in because the company cannot retaliate against you for voting in the union. Could they give you a pay raise while we're negotiating? Absolutely, there's nothing that stops them from making it better, but they can't take things away and make things worse. Probationary periods for new flight attendants. It's crazy how they have a one-year probationary period and they take days or weeks to get probation release meetings. Um, Has probation ever come up in contracts? Absolutely, We, we usually try to negotiate for um, the shortest probation period. Um, and so we, we have negotiated that, but we've also made sure that the company can't determine what kind of representation you have while you're on probation. So you have the protection of your union contract the entire time. So if they, um, 
if they do not follow the contract when they're scheduling you, when you're giving, they're giving you your assignment or reserve assignment and all the protections around reserve that we negotiate, um, then we get to file agreements. We get to reinforce that. And sometimes you get um, a compensation for having had your contract violated. So the whole time that you're on probation, you do have the full protections of the contract. You just don't have the full protections of the due process, but you do have an advocate. The union has many times gone in with probationary flight attendants and just having those extra eyes on the process and our relationship. We do build a relationship with the company. Um, we're, not, we're not the same thing. We're our own um, entity. The company has no control over us, but you build a relationship because in, in the best uh, working relationships, you're solving problems on a regular basis. So sometimes just having the union rep there with the probationary flight attendant changes the outcome and gives people a better chance. Well, what about reserves, Sarah? Um, have, have you seen things happen to improve the quality of life for flight attendants on reserve? A hundred percent. So um, things like uh, making sure that if there's a short call out, um, that there's no discipline if you don't make it. Um, if you get a uh, paid taxi, um, you get help to be able to um, try to get there on reserve. And then also getting your assignment the day before and knowing what you're doing and still and getting it um, at a time when you can still maybe commute in for a flight or know that you're going to be released and you don't have to commute in. You can stay at home because you're released for the next day and having a clear number of assignments that the company has to give. So 85% of the reserve pool has to have their assignment by four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, depending upon the contract. Um, or you have a reserve call out only during certain hours of the day, a uh, 12 hour uh, period, and you bid for that. So you know that the company is only going to call you during those 12 hours. Um, these are, I'm giving different examples from different contracts right now. But what we do is we negotiate to put more schedule flexibility in the hands of the reserves and more control over the pay that you make so that you can actually pick up trips on your day off. Um, once you get your trip, you can trade with other flight attendants um, or you could drop your trip to other flight attendants um, so that there's a lot of schedule flexibility in the hands of the flight attendants, not so much in the company, and also more control over when you're getting those assignments and what kind of rest you get. Um, many of our contracts have more uh, rest for reserves because obviously you have a harder time preparing for those trips and can get a lot more tired as you're uh, switching from different uh, trips and different operations. Um, so uh, those are just some examples, but we could get into specifics. We okay. asked about reserve cancellation pay. And yes, yes, we do have reserve cancellation pay in our contracts. So um, th that's like if you show up to the uh, I, I think that what they're asking, because, you know, different carriers use different terms. So I want to make sure I'm understanding the question. But um, so you get an assignment, you go uh, to the airport, but then you're told you're not needed and you're sent home. Um, is there a pay associated with that? And yes, we do have that in several of our contracts. What is the difference between a letter of agreement and a legally binding contract? There's actually no difference. So a letter of agreement is a black and white document that is agreed to by the company and the union both sign the document. It is as um, binding as uh, your contract. And the only difference is that typically letters of agreements are reached between these regular contract bargainings. That's what we were talking about earlier. When issues crop up, 
in between bargaining sessions, usually resolve those through a letter of agreement, but they're just as binding as the uh, contract itself. Okay, but if you're at a carrier that has, for instance, SkyWest, there's SIA, which is really um a company union that's illegal actually and we can challenge that in this campaign if people would like to um what saya is is uh, a, a company union that's been set up by the company that has been made to try to fool the workers into thinking that they have a union when actually they do not have a legal representative um that under the railway labor act that is illegal that can be challenged alpa challenged it uh, during one of their campaigns and have had a favorable ruling, although it wasn't, uh, the law was not completely challenged. That's certainly something that that could be done in the process of this campaign. We just have to decide if that's something strategically that we would like to do, or if we'd like to just continue to build power and join together and recognize that the flight attendants very likely who are raising their hand uh, to sign up and do work as SIA uh, representatives probably want to make the lives of flight attendants better and all we have to do is help them understand that they would actually have more power in doing that by signing the union card, becoming part of the union, and not having to have the final say in the hands of the company and have the company try to make you believe that you have some kind of representation you don't. Okay. And I think that really, <laughs> I, I think that really answers the question because people are saying, okay, so they've got, it's really a policy at this point. You know, there, yes. Is there. The company exactly. can change it on, on any day. And what, what SkyWest has done is they have worked really, really, really hard um, to, uh, in a very mature way, union bust. And even going so far as to try to make people believe that they already have a union, which you do not. There is no legal standing that you have with SIA. Um, and so it's, it's no protections at all. And in fact, it's intended to confuse you and make you believe that you have something that you don't. Once your contract is, a, is approved by the membership, you know, the negotiation process takes place, a tentative agreement is put out, it's voted on, it's approved. Can that just be changed? No, it cannot. So um, certainly there are times when the union and the company has a disagreement over how that contract language applies. And um, then we would uh, meet and discuss and determine whether or not there really is a, a disagreement. If there is, the union files a grievance and uh, we go through the grievance process and have a third party uh, rule on who's right, essentially. Um, and so that's uh, part of how we do the contract enforcement. But the company, you know, most flight attendants with a contract don't even know the value of their contract. They don't know how many things don't happen to them during the day, simply because the company is already following the rules of the contract and um, making sure that, for example, the order of assignment that you're given your trips is followed by the schedulers. And, and there are many flight attendants with contracts who don't even realize that they're benefiting from that contract and not having bad things happen to them simply because they have that contract in place and the company knows that they have to follow it and they know that there's legal ramifications if they don't no i <laughs> I, I did see a question about a pen and i would love sarah to talk about it because i love the way sarah, and i think it's important to know because everyone should be wearing their pins right now so sarah if you want to talk a little bit about pins yeah um, sure i mean what was the exact question let me find the exact question can you please confirm that we flight attendants have the legal right to wear our afa pins and uniforms 
Yes, you absolutely do have the legal right to wear your pin. Um, you have the right to show that you are for representation in your workplace, and, and that's what gives you the right to wear the pin. If there's a manager that gets aggressive and tells you to take it off, we tell people don't ever get in a position where you are um, refusing to comply with a direct order. But you want to ask them, are you really directing me to, to take this pin off and, um, and, and interfere with my federal right? Is I just want to get it straight. Um, and uh, typically, they will back off and understand that when you're wearing that pin, you know that you have rights. And you also know um, that you've got the whole backing of a union. And you have what I talked about earlier, which is that um, when you are very public about being a union supporter, you actually have a level of protection, even without the union, that you didn't have before you put that pin on. And I always tell people, too, that once again, I said this earlier, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter the tail of the airplane on the plane. It doesn't matter the wings that we're wearing, but we connect with each other through the work that we do as flight attendants. And that's what this pin represents. It represents taking real pride in the work that we do as flight attendants. This is our professional organization that stands up, says in the media with our own voice, not management speaking for us, what we do as aviation's first responders, what kind of tools we need and what kind of protections we need on the job. And, and the real leadership role that we play, not only on our planes, but around this country, people look to us. When there's a, a strange sound on the plane, they all turn and look to you for your leadership. I want you to take that in and recognize that it has been this union and the symbol of this pin that has built that up over the years uh, to build the flight attendant profession into something that is really respected. And that's what it means when you wear it. And I always say, when I see another AFA pin walking toward me in the terminal, it means I care about you because it means that I'm not just in this for myself, I'm in it for you too. And so I just wanna let all of you know, especially in this holiday season, that we really care about you we're so excited that you're asking questions. We're excited that you're talking about and thinking about joining our flight attendant union. We think of you already as part of our family as flight attendants, um, but we wanna make it stick and we wanna work with you to make our profession better. And we hope that we have a lot more conversations with you and a lot more working towards uh, achieving what you wanna see at SkyWest and what you wanna lock in for the long-term. This has been a huge push for us and we're so excited that we're where we're at now. And Sarah, thank you so much. This means the world to us and Katara that you guys have jumped in and helped. And Katiana was on. She had to leave for a flight. Galen, thank you so much. And we're just going to continue to push. And it's solidarity. And we are all in. Merry Christmas to everybody and Happy New Year. Solidarity forever. We got forever. your back. We got We've your got back. back. I love yes. you guys. <laughs> love you too. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs>